This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Detroit Sports Rad Podcast, episode number three on Tuesday, what is it, November 3rd, 2015. We are here at Podcast Detroit in the beautiful Ferndale Studios. I am Jeff Moss. He is Justin Spiro, and we have tons, tons of things to talk about tonight. I think we probably should start off with you being late for the third consecutive show. You know, when we started this, you were like, I'm only doing this program and devoting my time if we donate or we we decide to do more show prep than Terry Foster. We have to get there at least a half hour before the show to go over everything. This has got to be professional. This is our last chance to do this right. And let's see, I believe in the three shows combined, you've gotten to the studio about eight minutes before we were supposed to go on. So would you like to address your lateness tonight, Mr. Spiro? Uh, yeah, tonight, well, actually, I was I was 10 minutes early, technically. I got here at 4.50, uh, still quite a bit later than we had anticipated for our, our show prep. Uh, last week was out of my hands in a different way. We won't touch that. But today, I pull into the Applebee's on 8 Mile, approximately 7 tenths of a mile from the studio location, Pulling at 4 o'clock, I figure, okay, uh, you know, I'll knock it out in 15, 20 minutes and, and be done with it, sat at the bar, and put in my order at 4.02. Didn't even need to look at the menu, knew what I wanted. And 4.30 rolls around and there's still no food. I flag down the bartender and say, hey, what's going on? It's explained to me after a minute that it was uh, my meal was given to a to-go order by mistake. I said I have to leave in literally five minutes or um, you know, I'm going to miss my meeting at five. Certainly didn't explain that I had a podcast. She said, okay, two minutes. We're going to put it together right now. No problem. Five minutes go by, no food. And I, I just walked out and uh, rushed on over here as fast as I could. So I feel like it's a conspiracy against me. One week after the next, it's out of my control. I've been to Applebee's a thousand times in my life, never taken more than 20 minutes to get food out. It's it's just and, not and the, my and the, week. And the server looked at you wearing what a, a Losser pullover. Well, my old Losser zip up from eleven years ago. Losser doesn't even exist anymore. I told her 
you know, that I said that I had a meeting at five o'clock. I had to get out of here. And she said uh, that it looked like I was in high school and what kind of a meeting would I really need to attend that would be so important that I couldn't be late for. So here I am in a, in a rush trying to, to communicate to this bartender slash waitress that I, I'm in a hurry and have to get going. And her only interest was to bomb me for being young looking. I, I feel like Michael Bohenick all over again. That is that is bizarre to go into a restaurant and then you tell them you have somewhere to go. I mean, middle middle school kids have places to be. I mean, if you, even if you were in high school at a defunct uh, school that doesn't exist, not wearing your wedding ring, I I don't know. It's her determination to make if you have anywhere really to go or not. But well, I'm, I'm glad you're after, here, especially after it's been already half you know half an hour. You have a a visibly upset customer who is clearly trying to get somewhere as expeditiously as possible and you're standing there kind of hand on the hip saying eh, where do you gotta be you know it's like okay so <laughs> was kevin schultz the uh cook in the uh applebee's kitchen maybe no, that I, was the I think, con- I think conspiring kevin, factor i think kevin schultz would have gotten the food out really quickly it just would have been tampered with yeah he would have spit in it probably yeah, well at best but <laughs> so, so anyway let's all get, right let's get let's, let's get, 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 let's get moving here. on we're just really killing time because this is going to be a little different tonight uh, we are going to be having uh, just Justin Rogers from MLive.com. He is the Lions beat writer, along with Kyle Mankey over there at MLive. And we are going to have him on in about six or seven minutes to discuss the Detroit Lions. Uh, we'll talk about <laughs> what's going on down in Allen Park, uh, Jim Caldwell, going after the media the the then was it the negative uh, nabobs of negative whatever what was that from uh, the seventies I forget but you know I don't know if he was blaming the Hawaiians' problems on the negative media but it seems like he went out of his way to uh, you know discuss that topic and we can get kind of a breakdown from Justin who I think was there today uh, we can talk about basically everyone in town at this point now calling for a complete gutting of the organization, uh, probably about 10 years too late in my opinion. We'll get into all of that, but we are going to the Pistons game this evening. The undefeated 3-0 and first place Detroit Pistons. And you had an interesting tweet the other night, uh, maybe the other day, I don't know what it was, about the uh, Pistons. You want to you uh, illuminate the uh, people on that uh, comment that you made? Yeah, I mean, it, I didn't think it'd be as polarizing as it ended up being. But I had tweeted out a few days back that the Detroit Pistons are the best-run organization in Detroit sports right now. And the the blowback was incredible. You had one or two tweets of support and about 30 bombing me for saying it's the Red Wings. Now, I, I think it's, it's worth clarifying. I mean, if you're going to take a step back, the Red Wings are the better organization than the Detroit Pistons. I mean, you have to put in the history of the organizations. When you make a comment like that, that's a, obviously a huge factor. But in terms of the day-to-day operations of these teams, and it's not to say I think Detroit Red Wings are run poorly, but I think the Pistons, the way they're getting into analytics, the way that they're increasing their funding for their scouting department to where it's A-plus, tops in the entire NBA, I think it's tough to say. It's it's not a denigration of the Red Wings necessarily. I think the Red Wings are a pretty well-run franchise themselves, but the Pistons are the first and only organization in the city that are looking ahead of the game, and they're, and they're ahead of 90% of the teams in the league right now. You look at what the, the Rockets are doing, certainly they'd be up there as well. 
uh, looking at the analytics and, and whatnot. But the Pistons are the only organization in the city that are far ahead of the game and are trying things that are frankly innovative to where some of which they're the only teams doing it. I mean, they have, as we said, the most massively funded scouting department. So, you know, I think it's, it's not crazy to say that the Pistons are the number one operation right now. No, I, and I agreed with you. Uh, you know, the Red Wings are an organization that have historically done well, uh, mainly because of, you know, three things. The 1989 NHL draft, where they got Fedorov and Konstantinov and McCarty and half, you know, they got, it was probably one of the best drafts in the history of professional sports. And then picking up Datsuk and Zetterberg in the sixth round and seventh round. You know, those were the moves. And they you know, also got Lidstrom, obviously, in that 89 draft. So there was like a couple things where the Red Wings have been set on a, a motion where you couldn't almost screw them up because they had such an advantage getting two you know, borderline Hall of Fame centers where everyone else is drafting you know, fourth-line wingers in Datsuk and Zetterberg. And, you know, it, it just – I wouldn't say, obviously, we went over last week with Anthony Ciotti, their free agent moves over the last five or six years. I don't think anyone can say that they've been run well lately at all, uh, other than you know hanging on to some good draft choices like Dylan Larkin. We're talking about infrastructure, and the Red Wings still, to me, are way behind the curve on, on advanced metrics, analytics. Um, I think Topher Ryan, a DSR contributor, basically said he thinks it's like two high school kids, interns, handling that department down at the at the Joe Obviously, the Lions are a mess, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. And uh, not only are they not one of the best, you know, franchises in professional sports, they're probably in the top, the bottom two or three. And, and then you have the Tigers, who we're hoping are moving toward the direction we want to see uh, with Al Avila, uh, investing more into analytics, sabermetrics. And I think we're, we think they'll probably get there, but they're but it seems like the Pistons are there. I mean, the Pistons are doing something that supposedly no other team is doing, tr- like watching and videoing and taking notes and scouting every single game of every team in the league, and not just for future scouting, because, you know, you'll play the Knicks next week and you want to see what they're doing, but because if you make a trade or free agent signing, you want to have notes on every player in the league, um, what their strengths and weaknesses are. So if you, when, you, when you're when you going to make that trade, you go pick someone up who you think you can put on your team, and maybe they're playing 18 minutes a game, and you can maybe extrapolate that to 25, 20, and you're going to get a big you know key player. You're talking 10 years ago. This is a team when they drafted Darko Milicic. Joe Dumars was on the record as saying like he basically knew nothing about the guy. So in, in what, 11, 12-year period, they've gone from taking a guy with the second pick overall, which Joe Dumars admitted – they didn't do their due diligence to now uh, Stan Van Gundy and, the, you know, Arn Tellum on top and the general manager who uh, nobody knows his name in town. What, what's his name, uh, Justin? Jeff Bauer. Oh, okay. You do know. So I think we were the only two people at Palace last year that had any idea what who the general manager of the team was. So, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. I think they are being run very well, and I think you will see this year uh, the fruits of uh, – you know, what Tom Gores has implemented with Stan Van Gundy and these people. And, you know, and it, it extends beyond just the scouting and analytics, which I think are the primary reason why I made that comment and feel that way. It, it goes even to media relations, fan relations. You look at the Lions, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later, but 
the Lions blowing off media sessions, players refusing to speak, Tom Lawan is a ghost. They alienate their own fan base. The franchise quarterback's wife is taunting the fans. The, Adrian Waddle's fiance is taunting the fans. Said so the second to the worst offensive lineman in the league. His not even current wife bombing us is hilarious. And then you know you look at the Red Wings. It's not again not just the absence of analytics, but the general culture. Some say the family culture is good. Well, it has its detractors. You get Daniel Cleary here three years too long. Kirk Malpe a few years back. At least three or four years too long in his career extended uh, unnecessarily out of blind loyalty. You don't see these sort of screw-ups with the Pistons. The Pistons are run very well from the fan uh, relations standpoint. A lot of good deals to get people down there. They Tom Gores, I think, was very diplomatic in handling the team's failures. Said a couple times in the media that basically apologizing to the fans for what they, they were seeing on the court, asking for patience and saying, look, we're going to get this right. We're turning this around. I think hiring Stan Van Gundy at uh, a big dollar amount alone was a big statement about how serious they were about moving this organization in the proper direction. So it really it's beyond just analytics and scouting. It's just even there's none of these leaks of players' spouses bombing the fans unchecked. I, I just feel that outreach. I mean, I, I tweeted the other day. The Pistons are having these sort of make a wish foundation things where they're having these kids come and. Uh, some sick kids, some just normal kids have a day with the Pistons and know what it's like to be at a practice. And I mean, even like the little stuff like that, I think they're just hitting out of the park. And it's a great operation down there right now. And it, it's great to see. Yeah, well, clearly there was a learning curve for Tom Gores when he bought the team. And, you know, uh, we can talk for probably the next half hour of all the screw ups that he made in the first few years, it's, you know, which is with, at the top of the list the whole Ben Gordon debacle, which cost them, you know, a draft pick. And, you know, obviously if Stan Van Gundy was here at that time, I think he could have talked um, Gores and his people out of that asinine move where, you know, the Pistons got ripped off in a transaction by Michael Jordan, which is not an easy thing to do. And, and it cost him a, you know, top eight, nine pick. I don't think we'll see that again. That was a horrible thing. We, we called them on it. Everything has been corrected, and you know uh, I'm looking forward to going tonight four zero against the Indiana Pacers. Correct? Uh, yeah, I yeah. Believe so. And then yeah, after so. today, they go on a kind of a brutal six game West Coast trip. Get that out of the way early, but uh, so important game tonight to go up four zero. We'll see what happens, and uh, that'll be the Pistons talk tonight. We are going to take a break when we come back, as promised. As long as he answers the phone and hasn't had. Second thoughts otherwise of joining us. Justin Rogers from MLive.com to discuss the debacle down in Allen Park. We'll be back after this uh, nice song that I picked out for you people. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back on the DSR podcast. I'm Jeff Moss. He is Justin Spiro at Darko State News. As promised in the intro, we are now going to be joined by Lions beat writer for MLive.com, Justin Rogers. Um, let's play the intro. This is going to be the intro for all guests uh, in the future now.
Hey, Justin, what's going on? How's it going, guys? Thank you for joining us. Um, got a lot of talk uh, about tonight. I guess you were down in Allen Park today for the, uh, what was it, the Dungeon of Doom discussion? I was. Uh, it was quite interesting. While, while uh, Kyle's down in what, I, I heard Cabo? Is that where he's at, vacationing uh, this week? I don't know. He's gallivanting around Europe or Africa or something. I don't, I don't know. Oh, okay. So you get, you get stuck covering the 1-7 in seven Detroit Lions and the uh, fallout from the, the latest debacle over in Great Britain. Before we get into the negativity of the Detroit sports media uh, that Jim Caldwell discussed this afternoon, I, I kind of wanted to touch on kind of the the atmosphere coming out of the 45-10 to 10 loss against Kansas City, because I'm not sure being a Lions fan, or I'm not sure what I've been the last two years, uh, but someone who is actively rooting against the team, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen the public outcry and the media outcry for what's going on down there. And I want to reference a couple things. One, uh, Phil Acura, the Detroit News sports editor, wrote a piece yesterday calling on Martha Ford to sell the team. I, I talked to uh, Tony Paul at the Detroit News last night. He said that since he's been at the paper, it's the first time that Phil, the sports editor, has ever written anything uh, for, for that paper. Uh, Carlos Monarez, who is the free press a beat writer for the Lions backing up uh, Dave Burkett, called for a gutting of basically everyone in the organization from Tom Lowan down. I don't think I've ever seen anything like what's been going on for the last 72 hours, uh, just calling for everyone to go and a complete house cleaning. Have you seen anything like that in your years covering this team? You know, certainly not in my time covering the team, but, uh, you know, I have lived in the area for some time. I, I do remember the, the Millen Man March. I, I think that probably would be the, the closest thing to, um, you know, that was a pretty demonstrative action from the fan base to come and, uh, march outside the stadium as, you know, it wasn't as big as some people thought it was, but a lot of people did come dressed in Bengals gear and, uh, that, you know, brought about changes pretty rapidly uh i, th- I think fans around this area fans and uh, to a lesser extent some some vocal media have you know talked about the the ownership being the one constant it's almost become uh, a meme at this point but uh you know i don't i don't know if i've ever seen uh, this kind of uniformity um in, in terms of media calling for these drastic of changes since i've been covering the team the, the one difference i see in the mill and man march and you know, people, you know, the old big buck days of Wayne Fonz, people calling for his head. The one difference I see is, A, it's coming from pretty, it's coming from pretty high up. I mean, you, the, the, the sports editor of the Detroit News making an unprecedented plea for someone to sell the team. To me, I, that, it, it was shocking. Uh, I think um, Neil Rubin at the uh, Detroit News had tweeted out that he, that he, that he was kind of shocked by it, too. I think the difference between what's happened in the last maybe 40 years and now is I think that people see kind of a gap or maybe a way out of this now that William Clay Ford Sr. is gone. I don't, no one, you know, people used to call sports talk radio all the time and saying, oh, the Ford's got to sell, the Ford's got to sell. People were wasting their breath because there was no way William Clay Ford Sr. was ever going to sell this team. I think the friction between the Ford family, Bill Ford Jr., being out, Martha Ford being a you know a ninety year old owner of this team, a rookie owner basically. 
I think people see kind of an an opening there, and I think that's why this might be a little different than what's happened in the past. Do you, do you see that? Yeah, you know, I've, I've seen the reports out there. Uh, I've seen some of the stuff you've written about, you know, the, the Ford family friction. I, I've heard Bill's quotes about, you know, kind of taking a back seat, and it all makes a lot of sense that, um, you know, with the three daughters in there having, you know, more of a split power control right now, uh, listen, 90 years old is 90 years old. You know, you never know how long someone's going to be around at that age. Uh, she, in the one interaction we did have with her, I was, um, you know, pretty impressed with, she seemed very sharp. Uh, all reports indicate that she's been a pretty active owner, but, um, you know, I, I don't know how long that's going to last. And when, you know, that day comes that, you know, maybe she's ready to step aside or, you know, I don't, I don't want to wish death on anybody, but she passes, you know, that, um, I, I don't know how the family's going to handle it. I don't know if it's going to be equal control. And as you've suggested in your stuff that, you know, Bill's going to be voted out. I think that's, you know, very reasonable, but I, I just not convinced new ownership's uh, going to be a magic solution. Um, the ball, Log Pride of Detroit posted something the other day, and uh, something that was interesting, he posted the last six teams, I think, that had new ownership. You know, it's like the bottom six teams in the NFL. It's teams like the Browns, the Jaguars, the Bills. Uh, you know, new ownership's not a magic elixir in sports. The right guy's got to come in and buy this franchise, and, you know, is that uh, a guy like what Tom Gores is doing up in, in Auburn Hills, or is it what Dan Gilbert's done in Cleveland? You know, maybe maybe do maybe find that right over. Maybe find your your Robert Kraft that magically fixes everything, or maybe you get another buffoon in there that just drives the circus into the ground even further. Now, Justin, I've been pleasantly surprised by the fan outrage. I figured the eleven and five season from last year would have bought more goodwill than it has. Frankly, uh, pleasantly surprised. You get a lot of email, tweets at you, comments on your articles, so you would have a good glimpse into. What percentage of the fans are being patient and tolerant with the season? What, what would you say is the percentage of the fans looking at this from a positive angle, keep Mayhew, et cetera? Oh, almost, almost zero. You know, I think uh, you deserve some equity from an 11-5 season, but it's, it's not much. You know, and if I think this team right now is 4-4 four and, four and, and just kind of middling and maybe going to miss the playoffs with an 8-8 eight eight record or 9-7 and seven record, people will be like, all right, well, Oh, the schedule was tough. Oh, they lost to. Oh, Levy was hurt. And those excuses would be slightly more viable. But the offense that we were promised would be better and, and really looked a lot better during training camp in the preseason never panned out, uh, arguably worse than last year with equal, if not better, pieces with the addition of Amir Abdullah and um, you know first-round draft pick on a, an offensive guard, which is fairly unusual. And then the defense, you know, we we understood that there was going to be a, a step back there, but to go from one of the three elite units in the NFL to probably the worst in maybe bottom three, if you're being generous, uh, it, it's just a train wreck, and it's you know brought them back to five years ago or two years ago or three years ago, whatever. How many other times this this team's drafted in the top ten? They're now one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, record rise, they are the worst, and after. Sunday, you know, I don't, I don't see how you convince me that they're not the worst team in the NFL right now, and I think people are just sick of it. They're sick of it at all levels. You know, I, uh, I don't want to say I was the first in the bandwagon because you know people have been, you know, bet, you know, uh, frustrated with Mayhew for a while, but you know, I wrote 
week three, you know, this, this was it for him. I, and I really believe that, you know, when I saw him going down the tubes, I saw him going down to Seattle and I figured that was a loss. I think we all figured that was a loss at 0-4. Uh, listen, it's, it's seven years as a general manager and I'm willing to excuse those first two years. He got a garbage roster from, from Millen and had to rebuild it. And I thought he did a nice job initially getting from 0-16 to 10-6. and um, But, you know, no playoff wins. And that's what it boils down to. Seven years, no playoff wins. It's time for a new direction at the top. I, I don't see changing ownership as something that I or anybody in the media can influence. That'll happen on its own if it happens. But, uh, you know, from, from that point down, uh, I think there needs to be significant changes in the organization or they're continue to flounder. You know, it was interesting because in April, um, Kyle Mankey had wrote an article that kind of flew under the radar a little because the Lions were coming off an 11-5 season where they probably should have won a playoff game if the refs didn't screw them. And, you know, the city was pretty much very high on uh, the regime. I went to the uh, season ticket holder event that they held over the winter. And, 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 and Jim Caldwell, I was talking to these people. You know, I, I didn't like the Caldwell hire. I think he's a terrible coach. I thought he was a terrible coach. and But, you know, the 11-5 people were buying into it. I mean, everyone I talked to and there was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing. He's calm. He's the anti-Schwartz. So, you know, it, it really, people were had a, had a good attitude going into this season. And when Kyle wrote an article in April uh, where he interviewed Millen about Mayhew, and I, I want to get your impression of this because I haven't talked to Kyle about it, but Millen went on the record, was quoted as saying that the reason – Mayhew was promoted as the general manager. Tom Luan was promoted as president because that's what Millen told William Cl- William Clay Ford Sr. to do when Millen was getting fired. A, do you buy that story? And B, do you think maybe that should be a little more highlighted now that, as I said, if that is true, we are kind of in the 15, 15th year of the Matt Millen regime in, 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 a, in a certain extent. Yeah, I never liked the fact that uh, Mayhew was, you know, held accountable for for Millen's failures, and I, I understand he was part of the the right hand club at the time. But you know, I always thought Mayhew was was a smarter guy, and I think he's proven that he is at least a semi competent roster builder. But that that quote, I remember when when Kyle got it, and we had a phone call conversation, um, you know, shortly after, uh, you know my jaw dropped a bit and I was like, Oh man, people are going to be really pissed off when they read that. Cause at the time his goal, uh, you know, was to do kind of a, uh, a Mayhew bio piece on, on just how he's, you know, improved over the years. And at the time that, that was an appropriate piece. He had, uh, I guess reached a pinnacle, at least during the tenure here in an 11, five season, things appeared to be trending upward. Uh, I think positivity was merited, um, and then that quote comes out and I was like, ah, oh, you, you have to include it. I mean, it's, it's absolutely meaty, but man, does that just, that's just going to make people so angry. Nobody wants to read Millen's name and to hear that, that Mayhew was not handpicked, but hand recommended. Hand recommended. Uh, and to the point where Millen, like I said, if you believe what he's saying in that article said, throw me under the bus, you've got to separate yourself from me. And you've got to, you know, you. I mean, it was it was insane. And like I said, if that would have, if if Kyle gets that article in the last ten days and posts that, 
the reaction of the city, I, I, they might burn it down again like, you know, it was 1968 or 67. I mean, but it came at a point where people were very positive about Mayhew, really, at that point, even after the Sioux debacle. I, can you just imagine if that came out, Justin, both of you, Justin, if that came out like last week in the midst of what's going on now? I, I, I can't even imagine what would have occurred. Or 12 months after uh, you know, Mayhew's hiring. I mean, it would probably be even more impactful back then. Right. But, it, I mean, that's it's news. It's, it's, I guess, old news at this point. You, you can't, uh, can't change that fact. And, I, I mean, I think Millen probably is prone to a little bit of hyperbole. Uh, but I, I tend to believe the, the, the crux, I guess, of, of what he's saying there. Uh, he obviously, you know, it's a well-documented. He had a, a very good personal relationship with with William Clay Ford, and I think he respected him as a as a person. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he would have fired him had you know Bill not uh, pushed the pushed the issue there a little bit. Justin, I don't want to lead you in any particular direction on this question, so I'm just going to throw it out there. You had the quotes today, Caldwell saying that the Detroit media is the most negative that he's ever been around. What is your reaction to those comments? Oh, well, I mean, first, it was it was just strange. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of personality from, from Caldwell. I don't say that to be funny. He's just he's a very uh, conservative guy with, with his words. He chooses them wisely and, and rarely says anything of, of consequence. Uh, he he interrupted a question um, from Wojo towards the end of the uh, press conference. I think it was about ten Bob, or eleven yeah. minutes into. Bob Wojnowski, a well-known negative, uh, just anti-hater type of guy. You know, I, it's it's funny you say that. Like, it, <laughs> I, I don't know if there's anybody like Caldwell seems to react more negatively to sometimes than Wojo's questions. I don't I don't know what it is. It I don't know. I've, I've, I feel like I've sent tension there before, but yeah, obviously there's. Uh, not a reputation for for going hard or going negative, um, but but the question was along the lines of you know after the eleven and five season, uh, how do you deal with the negativity that comes with uh, going backwards once again as an organization? And Caldwell cut him off, and he said, "I'm I'm going to interrupt you," you know, and he said, "I've noticed the negativity since I've been here," and uh, it, it was a little tongue in cheek, you know. I think there was a little bit more smiling and, and chuckling that kind of wasn't conveyed in some of the tweets and stories that were out there. Um, but it was clearly something that I think was a cathartic rant for him, you know, something that has been bothering him for a while. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with him. Um, not the fact that Detroit's uh, an aggressive, negative, hammery town, but this organization has been so inept for so long that there's this cynicism surrounding anything good that happens to this organization. And I'm part of that. I have no problem admitting that. You know, I, I, I like to see things before I believe them. And so when I see 11-5 season last year and I, and I see what I think is positive, progressive steps in the draft, you know, drafting a guard I thought was really important, drafting that speed back in Amir Abdullah was really important. I thought, you know, the Lions made a lot of logical decisions outside of, you know, not going all in and, and getting Sue back. Uh, you know, I, I think I was more positive this off season than I was in previous off seasons because you built up the goodwill from having a, a good season. 
you know, you talk earlier about Caldwell not being a good football coach, and that may be, but what he is is a good manager. You know, he comes across as that CEO that is extremely organized. He knows how to put people in the right places. He knows, uh, you know, I think how to inspire people and, and uh, organize decisions. But when it comes down to football game planning and X's and O's and in-game decisions, I think that's where he lacks. And I remember when he came here, one of my things was, one of my comments was, you know, I hope this guy hires experienced play callers because, you know, I, I just don't trust his XO's ability. He didn't have a very good offense in Baltimore's final year there. Uh, it, that's just not part of who he is. And then he goes and hires two uh, first-time play callers, and one turned out all right and one completely blew up in his face. Well, yeah, and I want to clarify. When I say I don't think he's a good football coach, I think he's, I think he's kind of in the Jim Leland mode where he's good in the locker room, the players respect him, he keeps things calm, but his acumen in games, calling timeouts, um, you know, things like that, when you've got to think on your feet, that's where I think he's severely lacking, and that was his M.O. coming in. I mean, nationally he was mocked for, for, for you know, the, 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 the timeout he took in the, the uh, Colts-Jets playoff game. There was, other, there was other instances, not where he just made a mistake, but he refused to like admit it was a mistake when it was clearly a mistake, and seemed kind of like a stubborn, um, he kind of a you know stubborn trait that he had. But let me let me ask you another question about accountability because this is kind of something I've been harping on, you know, for the last couple of years, it, and and it's got to be I, I would think aggravating for someone who covers this team, in that when the the Lions hired Jim Caldwell, it wasn't a popular decision, and it, there was you know there was it was going to be criticized by some of the people in attendance at the press conference when that was announced, and neither Mayhew or uh, Tom Luan were on that day as to answer questions that day. When Sue left, the same thing. They were nowhere to be found. And last week, when <laughs> you know when Jim Bob Cooter was, was promoted and Joe Lombardi was fired... The name. Yeah, I, I stumbled on the name because I still can't believe it's his name. But uh, they, they still, you know, Caldwell was out there, kind of left to, to, you know, out to dry. Still no sign of Lawan and 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 uh, Mayhew. It, it, there just seems to be absolutely no accountability. And the only time that they want to talk is when things are going well, especially Luan, who you I mean, this guy was all over the place last year when they were eleven and five, talking about you know prayer their prayer group and what they, you know, it was, he was all over you now, you know, you can't, nobody, he walked out the other day in London, no comment. I don't think anyone's heard him say really anything. I, when's the last time Luan talked? I mean, where, where is the accountability from the president of the team and the general manager? You know, it's, there's no media requirements for those guys. Um, I, I found that Mayhew's schedule has been uh, consistent since he's been here. Uh, he's, he's always been a, I guess, approachable guy, as long as you keep the conversation casual. And then as soon as you get into anything remotely football-related, he, you know, politely backs out. He always has been that way. doesn't matter how you try to press him. doesn't matter how uh, you know, conservative you are, how much you couch the question. He, he declines to answer. He's, you know, available in a long session after the season. He's available at the combine. Uh, he's available at training camp in a, a more of a, brief session and uh, it's, it's like four or five times a year that's when Mayhew talks and um, we've we've gotten lucky the last two years to, to get him in London uh, he said a whole bunch of weird gems in his <laughs> last uh, 
little session. But yeah, what was all that about being a buyer? And then the trade deadline went by like what two hours ago, and they did nothing. I mean, it, it, that was the that was about as odd of a press conference from a general manager of a Detroit sports team that I can remember in years. Yeah, I went back and looked at the quote in, in, in context, it's full context, and he said, I think we'll be more of a buyer than a seller. And, uh, you know, is, does that say we're definitely buying? No, I think it said, you know, we're, we're more interested in, in picking up a piece than selling a piece. But uh, at the end of the day, we all know the NFL trade deadline's a joke. It wasn't a single deal today. Um, it's, it's just a worthless content generator for ESPN to write hypothetical trades. Uh, right. But, you know, with, with Mayhew and, and accountability, like, I just, I just don't feel like his, his schedule for talking to us changes whether things are going good or whether they're going bad. What about Lawan? Oh, man, I, I just, Lawan never talks. Lawan's the same way. He talks when there is um, some kind of uh, team partnership that they need to announce, like uh, the Haven partnership this offseason or uh, last year with the, the Buffalo Bills playing their game at Ford Field. He just never talks outside of the offseason. I mean, Justin, I, I, I would trust your word over mine because you're down there all the time, but I'm fairly certain I saw several Tom Owan quotes and pieces last season. You're telling me there's been no disparity between his media availability this year to last year? No, he, he did that uh, church thing last year uh, where he spoke at um, – uh, the the chaplain the team chaplain's church and I know that was um, about you know some of his past demons away from the team uh, and then he did the the session. Don't bait when, me, uh, Justin. The, Don't bait me. I'm trying to be good. <laughs> you're just baiting. Hey, you say what you gotta say. Maybe <laughs> one after I hang up. But uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean he he talks briefly um, before training camp last year. He does the uh, Ford Field luncheon with the business owners, uh, the Rotary Club, whatever they call it, Economics Club. And then um, they had the weird Buffalo Bills thing last year where they came here and played a game for field, and I think we squeezed in some Lions questions. But, uh, yeah, there's there's not typically any kind of availability with Lawan during the season. Um, see him regularly. I mean, he's out there in the practice field. Uh, but, you know, again, you, you try having football conversations with him, especially on the record, and um, immediately shut down. You had mentioned Jim Caldwell's comment about the media being overly negative was a bit out of character. He's usually very measured and, and stoic. Have you noticed any other differences down there between Caldwell, the coaching staff, from how they've been acting recently to even beginning of this year and certainly last year? Do, do, do they know that they're dead men walking, do you feel? Uh, I wouldn't say that at this point. You know, or If they do, then you know they're not showing it. Uh, I think Caldwell's been a little bit more agitated and edgy but he's always kind of had that to him even when they were 11 and 5 you know and he's complaining about negativity now but uh you know he he's always had a certain way to reacting to questions um and it depends on the day i mean he just he's a guy that uh, whether he would admit it or not does have some level of mood swings to him uh, he came in after one loss this year and um it, it was like his dog had been run over before the press conference. He just talked in this like really quiet, somber, whispered tone, and then, you know, kind of like walked off in the middle of a question or answering a question. Um, not even like a, a tough question. It was just a it was a weird moment. And then today, the, the whole negativity thing, like it was it was a weird rant. But again, it, there was there was a level of playfulness to it. I, I don't know why or, or what it was just the whole 
whole mood of the whole thing was weird. Like I said, there was some some laughter from him and I guess from some of us uh, during it. And, and as I said, I, I don't totally disagree with him, but I think it's a symbiotic thing. You know, I think we're negative because the organization, um, one, is a terrible organization in terms of success. I don't think there's anybody that's going to question that. And then two, there's, there is a, a negativity element between uh, the media and the team and, and coverage. You know, it's, it's a very combative environment um, that's, I, I find very unusual, but it's, it's part because, you know, Lions are very busy trying to cultivate their own news generating product and they view us as competition, uh, which, you know, I continue to find very strange. Once again, baiting me into a question that I don't want to ask, but we're going to let you get back to with your family. I, I want to ask one more thing before before you go, and I do appreciate uh, you coming on and um, you know having the rest of the media probably hate you when they find out that you appeared with uh, the DSR. Well, on, I guess on a we'll podcast. find out. Yeah, well, trust me, it probably won't go well for you. But my my last question is: Are you on board the fire everyone from Tom Luan down to the nacho salesman? Uh, if Martha Ford remains control, you know, as the owner of this team, they don't sell in the near future. Is that what you would be calling for this off season? I know you already, you know, kind of hinted to the Mayhew stuff, but do you think this is just you need to bring in a nuclear bomb and just clear out everything out of Allen Park and, and Ford Field, those offices, and just completely start from scratch? If there's any hope that this thing is going to ever turn around in our lifetime. I think a strong case can be made for that. I think the one maybe uh, that survives is Luan. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. I, I think his role would need to be clearly defined where he's not involved uh, much in football decision-making, maybe just strictly contracts. But, you know, somebody asked me the other day in one of one of my little mailbag things, like, why is Tom Luan still a job? And my answer was because Fourfield continues to sell out. You know, it's the bottom line. The dude manages to get butts in the seat, whether that's strictly the organization or not. Uh, you know, I think he does a lot of things on the, on the business side that, um, you know, maybe easy to replace, maybe not. But, um, you know, I think that might be, uh, the only guy, if, if a clear plan is laid out that maybe could justify staying. Well, we hope not. I mean, I, I think he is a big weird. I had no idea. I, I, I think he's a big root of this problem. And I, I always have, I think, you know, he, Obviously, he you know he helped bring a Super Bowl here. He's got connections to the family. Well, I don't think I need to bring that up again. But I think if the if the if the Ford family wants to show that things are going to change and be different, uh, he's a poster boy for things being stagnant. And if he stays, I don't think I, I don't care who they bring in as the general manager. I think people are still going to say, "Is that person really in control of Tom Lawan still here?" And if, if that's fair or not. Based on because you know we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, we we don't know how much control he has because nobody really talks. So right. I I think people will look at that as if he's not gone with everyone else. I think people are going to be very very suspicious. But I do appreciate uh, you, Justin, uh, coming on. You can follow him on M Live. Um, his Twitter is Justin underscore Rogers, right? That is correct. You can't buy that, just just the old Justin Rogers. You can't you know, you can't make an offer financially to uh, to that person. You got you you've been stuck with the underscore. 
my my ego isn't that big. I don't I don't give a shit, you know. <laughs> All right, we appreciate you uh coming on and uh we will look forward to reading your bi week updates over the next few days. Thanks a lot, Justin. Thanks, Justin. No problem, guys. Hear everything I wanted to hear, but that's my worry that he will some the cockroach Tom Luan Jr. will somehow figure out a way to talk Martha Ford into keeping him. And no matter what they do, I don't, you know, we didn't talk, I didn't get to it. It was one of my questions on my list, but we, I mean, we had him on for a half hour and I didn't want to, you know, keep him all night. And we got a Pistons game to go to. But it was very interesting today that Ken Wisenhunt was fired by the Tennessee Titans because, as you well know, the two finalists for the Detroit Lions coaching job in 2000, after Schwartz was fired, uh, what was it, 2014, was they were, you know, Wisenhunt and Caldwell. And, and Wisenhunt was the first choice. He turned them down. And, and, and I did not want Ken Wisenhunt. I thought there was questions about what he had done in Arizona. I know people were telling me I was crazy. He's a great offensive mind, blah, blah, blah. This is the guy they need, you know, to right the ship after Schwartz was fired. I didn't want him. But when it became clear that it was Wisenhunt versus Caldwell, I was all in on Ken Wisenhunt. I mean, there was no question if those were the two choices. And it seems like Wisenhunt is going to uh, get fired maybe a few weeks before Caldwell, and they're both going to be gone. And how does that speak to, to Martin Mayhew's judgment that his two, his number one and number two probably within two years in the NFL? Wisenhunt's got like a five-year contract. They're going to still have to pay him for like another three and a half years. At like five million a year, yeah, Tennessee. Thing, things had to have been pretty bad there, beyond just the the product on the field, but just how ownership and the general management thought the operation was being run. You know, it, it always extends a little bit beyond the field, unless you're just completely getting blown on every week. When you get fired that early in a big deal like that, that was obviously. A, I think it's a dagger to Mayhew. I mean, his first and second choices have been absolute disasters. And what does that say? He has poor judgment. I think that's pretty obvious. I think we'll come back. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk some more about the Lions and the fallout from what Justin had to say, because I think he did say some interesting things. We'll talk about Caldwell in the media, and uh, we'll discuss the future of this organization. Uh, it's now 58 years and counting. No championships, one playoff win. We'll be back after this. This is a previously recorded episode. We are back on the Detroit Sports Rag podcast. Justin, who got here two minutes before the show started, already talking about ending it prematurely so we can get to the Piston game on time. You are like the uh, you're like Terry Foster, lazy. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm what's wrong with this bare country. minimum. You are you are what's wrong. You are what's not make, making America great. The, the entitled youth of America. Can we discuss for a quick? Quick second, that if uh, Donald Trump is the GOP nominee, that you'll probably be having a, a fundraiser for him in your in your dad's house. Uh, that'd be incredible. Uh, he has been spurting those type of opportunities, those private fundraisers uh, in his campaign. But we had John McCain a few years ago. We had Sarah Palin lined up before oh the God. campaign pulled oh, out yeah, of yeah, uh, yeah. pulled out of Michigan. So 
You know, we've had it. We had Rudy Giuliani when he was looking to run. Oh my so, god! So you've had a lot of winners. I'll give you that. Uh, John McCain, a U.S. senator and GOP nominee. I think that's a pretty good get. Well, Rudy Giuliani, okay. John, mayor of New York City. Yeah, they've done well in the presidential races. Let me tell you. Oh, that's fine. Okay. You know. All right. Let's get off the they've, political. They've won a lot of before silver, I start throwing things in your direction. Of, we should have Greg Henson on if we're going to get into oh, the yeah, political right. discussion. Well, we'll say we, that. For you know him. what we should do? We should have Tim Spiro and Greg Henson. Uh, Versus me and like Schultz in a debate. Yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting. All right, so we had Justin Rogers on from M Live, who he just tweeted out that um, that Stafford Matthew Stafford agrees <laughs> with Jim Caldwell's assessment that this is the most negative media town in the country. Which well, we is, know we know his wife thinks that. Oh yeah. So well, I, it, you know what? I don't know. It just says Stafford. Stafford said as soon as Lions fell to 0-4, reporters all wanted to ask about 0-16. It doesn't say Matthew or Ke- Kelly, so maybe maybe he's talking about Kelly. He's not, he doesn't say Matthew in any of these tweets. So. Yeah, Kelly could be tweeting that out or putting that on Instagram with yeah. a picture of oh, her sure. by her pool sipping a cocktail. And- with her uh, saline implants? Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's crazy. I, this, is, this is how freaking stupid this town is. I mean— Tone deaf in particular. The, the Lions beat writers, and we've been way ahead of this curve because everyone thinks that we hate everyone, we bash everyone. But I've said for probably the last two or three years that the Lion beat writers are by far the best in town. They're the only ones who do their job, basically. Uh, they question. They're, they're not, I mean, look at, I mean, Kyle Mankey, Josh Katzenstein, Burkett, these aren't aggressive, like, you know, um, no, but they they ask the questions ask that need questions. to be. They ask the questions that need to be. Yeah, they're not needlessly harsh. They're not flamethrowers. You know, no, they're no, not, no. But they ask not. the basic questions that need to be asked of failing organizations. I, I you know, I, I think they do a fine job, and we've said that for a long time. So people want to ask us, well, who do you like? It's pretty much Tony Paul, and then the Detroit Lions beat writers. Yeah, and so, but to think that <laughs> go to Matthew Stafford and Kelly. Kelly Stafford and Jim Caldwell and these losers should go to Philadelphia or New York or anywhere basically in the East Coast, Boston. They want to see the media, you know, treat them unfairly, quote unquote unfairly. You got to be fucking kidding me with this shit. This, the, look at the columnists: Wojo, Jeff Seidel, um. I mean, Drew Sharp obviously goes after them, but Drew Sharp is, you know, he's an anomaly, and he's that's his bit. You can't, nobody even takes him seriously. No, it's not, it's not really genuine fire no. coming from that guy. No. You know, I mean, he, he poo-poos a sunny Jim day, Caldwell so. does a radio show with the biggest homers in town. He goes on with a 97-1 with the Virgin Manatee, Scott Anderson, and Doug Karsh, who today, after Caldwell said how negative the media in this town is, those two of them were agreeing. You know, saying, "Oh yeah, they're right." I, this this town is so soft that Jim Caldwell, who I guess has been in Indianapolis and uh, Winston Salem, I, I guess the Winston Salem reporters weren't hard at on him at Wake Forest when he put up like a thirty percent win percentage. Uh, this town is so soft. Mitch Album's writing flowery articles about Matthew Stafford when Pro Football Focus has him as one of the top. Excuse me, one of the worst two or three quarterbacks in the league. Matthew Stafford thinks he's got it tough here? I mean, Are you Stafford, freaking kidding? Stafford's go, been the, generally absolved for go, the most part. Go work in a town with the New York Post and the New York Daily News, you douchebag. You want to see—I mean, basically those papers are me. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, you with the press pass. That's me scary, with the press pass. Scary, scary yeah, thought. Yeah, right. Yeah. Me with the press pass. That's basically what it is. Ta- some a tabloid with you know guys who are are saying. I don't believe I say outlandish things, but the Lions would be thinking I'm saying out crazy stuff. That's what they would have to deal with in that town. And in Boston, you see WEEI, notorious radio station in there in New England. They were hanging David Ortiz a few years ago and it looked like he was done. This is a guy that has been the most clutch player in postseason history, certainly in this era. At that point, had won two titles, later a third. And they're trying to kill the guy uh, on the airwaves. They're saying to run him out of town. He's he's a he's a loser. He's a sack of shit. And this is David Ortiz in Boston. So Forget the, that. How, about, this, the, this how is, about the New York media on Eli Manning? A man who's won they, Super they Bowls. Kill, they kill, they kill Eli Manning. And you don't even have to go that far to New York. Look at Mike Valenti on 97 won a Giants fan. He's all over Eli Manning. This man is one super. I mean, can you imagine in Detroit if Matthew Stafford won a Super Bowl? He could be the worst quarterback in the league for 20 years, and nobody would say, boo. And, and multiple Super Bowl MVPs, too. I mean, Eli wasn't the best quarterback in the league, but it wasn't a Trent Dilfer game manager situation. I mean, he was a critical. His numbers in those two postseason runs were impressive. There's plenty you can say about Eli Manning, but if Eli Manning – dropped into Detroit and had the track record in New York that he had here, no one would touch him. And frankly, I wouldn't mind. I, you and I are actually very consistent. If you win titles here, you get a lot of goodwill from us. If you win one title, if you win multiple titles, you know we're probably too soft, if anything. Matt Stafford hasn't earned that goodwill. It's, it's ridiculous. And you look at, once again, the tone-deaf nature of this franchise. You have the players – the players' fiancés, the players' wives, the coach, the general manager calling out the fans, saying calling out the fans for leaving early, for showing up late to this abomination of a franchise's latest blowout loss. This is a team, they should be apologizing to the fans. As bad as Joe Dumars was his last few years in Detroit, he was accessible. I thought that he... he showed visible frustration, never once made a comment about the dwindling crowd at the Palace. There's a lot of bad bad things you can say about Joe Dumars at the end. The tone-deaf nature of this Lions franchise, it's like nothing I've ever seen before, to take this antagonistic approach, this approach where you're going to go after the fans and bomb the fans. How do they get off doing this? This has been a historically in that franchise to the point where Forbes – just came out with an article saying, do not run your franchise like the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions are the picture-perfect example of how not to run a pro sports team. We're not talking NFL. The Forbes article said they are the worst-run franchise in professional sports. And that's why I was saying to Justin, things have changed. People coming out of the woodwork like Phil Licura, the sports editor of the Detroit News, who never writes anything saying Martha Ford should sell the team, Forbes not exactly known as a sports magazine, coming out with that article saying how poorly run they are. It's coming from everywhere. It's an avalanche at this point. And for Matthew Stafford to wonder why the media would start asking about 0-16 when the team was 0-4, well, I don't know, maybe because you're the part of the only franchise that's ever done it. <laughs> I mean, what do they think? What kind of questions do they expect? Well, I mean, 0-16 in, is the reason he's here. Right. When, I, right. I, you know, exactly. I, he was drafted because of self-awareness. Yeah. You're, you're only here because of 0-16. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what, what, are they, what, what is Wojo, who uh, 
is a is a buffoon, a character at this point. I mean, he doesn't ask any tough question. And if he asks a tough question, it's completely wrapped up in pleasantries. I mean, <laughs> you're going to get mad at Bob Wojanowski? That, that, that's, that's insanity. This is not Mike Lupica looking to make a name and trying to, you, you know, imagine like Peter Vesey covering oh this team. Oh, my God. I, you'll get Forbes. Forbes is, you say Forbes is not known for sports writing, which is true, but they're also not known for another thing, and that's a hit piece. This, this is not the New York Post having hit pieces on, on individuals or on organizations. It's a pretty straight arrow, middle of the road, relatively dry, to be honest, publication and they're saying that the Detroit Lions are an abomination of a franchise and they are the picture of what not to do. So you have all of these sources. These aren't angry fans. These are intelligent sources that are outside of the city that have no emotional attachment to this team like some of these fans do. And even they are saying that this is a mess. Something needs to be done. They need to basically implode this whole thing and start over. We discussed last week, until there's an ownership change, we don't think anything's going to happen but in terms of progressive steps for the future. But it doesn't matter. Almost on principle, you have to get these guys to go. But as bad as they've been, it'd be a little easier to stomach if you didn't have Golden Tate, Matthew Stafford, Kelly Stafford coming after the fans, Jim Caldwell coming after the media. It's like not only are they terrible, but they're throwing it back in your face as a fan. I just would like to know what questions you're supposed to ask when you're 1-6 in six. At the time, you're firing three offensive coaches and you're boarding a plane to London. I mean, did they want to ask if there was going to be peanuts on the team plane? I, I just don't get it. Now, let's talk about accountability as we discussed with Justin and something we were talking about during the break. Where is Tom Lewan? The, the man's the president of the team. And as Justin said, well, he doesn't talk. He doesn't like to talk. If anyone comes near him, he just you know brushes it off. Like, what is that? That's not. It, and Justin said that almost like, oh, you know, it's just what he what he does. You know, it's like when people say uh, you have that asshole friend, and you know, you bring him around your mutual friends, and everyone's like, God, why are you friends with that guy? He's an asshole. And it's like, oh, that's just how he is. Okay, well, your friend's an asshole. <laughs> like, what do you mean that's just how he is? It, it's the same thing with Tom Juan. Oh, that's just how he is. He kind of blows people off. Doesn't really do media. Maybe a couple sessions a year. Pretty muted. That's not okay for the president of a billion-dollar operation. You have to be speaking to the media. You, you're, you're, in theory, ostensibly the face of the franchise from the business side anyway. I don't think that's an acceptable answer. I dispute what Justin said. You know, I appreciate him being on, and I, I agreed with 99% of what he said. I think he's wrong just because I know what I read last year. I read Tom Awan in multiple Multiple features in the Free Press of Detroit News NMY, multi, and and other articles where he was just quoted. It's been nothing this year. So you know, Justin may be uh, not privy to some of the conversations that took place last year that led to his appearance in in certain columns, and that's fine. But Tom Wan has been an absolute ghost, and whether he was a ghost last year or not, which I say he wasn't. Either way, it's never acceptable for the president of the team, a guy who has a six, or excuse me, seven figure compensation package. it's insane that he gets off not talking to the media and not having direct contact with the fans at some point other than a watered-down, highly filtered season ticket holder meeting which you attended. Yeah, and and that that was a a joke. It was was called a town hall, and every town hall I've ever seen, there's like a, a roving microphone 
where you can ask questions of the people on the dais. You raise your hand, you get the mic. This is how this, this is the Detroit Lions. This personifies this franchise. How did they handle a town hall? You had to fill out a comment sheet, ask a question, put it in a box, and then the Lions reviewed the questions to see what questions Dan Miller was going to ask of Tom Luan, uh, Jim Caldwell, Martin Mayhew, whoever else was up there. That's how that's how how under control they want to keep everything. Because if they had a roving mic, I was going to get up and start bombing them and asking tough questions. Yeah, we, about we had Sue. A, I mean, we had a long thread in the Darko Facebook page uh, group talking about you know what what should we ask if if Moss gets the mic and we have this brainstorm list of forty five questions and <laughs> yeah. we've narrowed it down and we got it all down to a science and what's going to hit him the hardest and okay we got a couple we really like <laughs> and it, it, you have to put them in a suggestion box basically to be filtered by Dan Moore. that's not a town hall I mean this is basically the the Syrian elections had more credibility this, it's an absolute outrage that they would even advertise this as a town hall. And you, I mean, you were there. I wasn't. Can you please describe the nature of the questions that were allowed through the filter? Oh yeah. Uh, do you think? Uh, do you think that the Sue's replacement Nagata is going to do the job? Like that was the kind of question. Yeah. Like, and they, do you like, think? Did you enjoy the eleven and five season? Yeah. <laughs> you know what was the what was the best takeaway from the eleven and five season? Nothing. Nothing. You know, probing. Are you still, are you still mad at the refs about the the? You know, it was no. There was absolutely nothing even coming close to an edgy question. And the reason I went was because they refused to answer questions about Sue leaving and how they botched that. So I figured we'd get in and at least ask one question. I was even looking to go in there and stuttering John it up. I just wanted to say, like, what did you do? How could you possibly have let Ndamukong Sue go when it's almost impossible for a team to lose a franchise player in this day and age? And it hasn't happened since Reggie White, like, in 1993. This isn't baseball where you can lose a Scherzer or you could lose, you know, Toronto's going to lose a David Price because there's no... There's nothing built into the system for you to have an advantage to keep these guys. It's free market, and you got to pay. If you don't pay them what they want or they don't want to stay, they're gone. But in the NFL, as long as you don't rob Peter to pay Paul, like the Lions did for years, there's a mechanism where you can franchise and you can tag a superstar, and they can't leave. But they screwed that up, and then they refused to take questions about that screw-up. And now this year... You know why Lawan won't talk to anyone? Because you know what the first question is going to be if someone, if if he has a press conference, and you know who are you answering to? As bad as the decision was to continue to kick the problem down the road and deal with Sue later, which is what they did. You say you know robbing Peter to pay Paul. The out from that was available when they picked Eric Ebron tenth overall. Donald was there, and this is not a hindsight thing. That we were saying. Donald, I, I wasn't on Beckham at all. You know, I, I had no feelings on him one way or the other. But Aaron Donald was a no-brainer pick in that spot. We said, Sue, there's a 50-50 chance he's out of here. You take him. Fairley's up at the end of the year anyway. You either rotate the three for a year or you let Fairley or Sue go at the end of that season, and who cares? I mean, you, know, you have a great replacement. And now Donald is either the first or second-best D-tackle in the league already in his second year, according to people that know more than we do about this kind of thing, pro football focus, uh, Greg Cosell has said Donald's probably the best in the league already. Yeah, and by the way, who's not too far behind. 
uh, and Dominic Sue, who's I mean, like putting up two, numbers every week. Two best D tackles in the league, potentially. So as bad as the handling of Sue was, they had the out. They had the pick to replace him. And they, again, it wasn't just Sue was up. Even if you think, okay, maybe we bring Sue back, you know, maybe we're confident we can get that deal done. You still had Fairley coming up. You you had a feeling that Fairley would walk. You didn't pick up his option because you were so worried about his discipline and his weight issues. You knew he was a problem. There was no excuse not to pick Donald there. Now, if you if you passed on Donald and picked uh, an ace cornerback or some other position of great need, that's one thing. To to not pick Donald and pick a tight end, even if he was a good one, was a very bad pick. Ebron's not even a good tight end. I mean, it's just been a disaster of a decision for this franchise. You know, I'm I'm I am shocked, truly surprised with how the town has reacted because we said it earlier in the year on, on you know the message boards and on Twitter that I thought the 11 and five season was going to buy Caldwell at least two years. I, I and I think he thought that too. I think that's why he's kind of taking this stance about the negativity of the media, being so ornery. I think he's surprised. Because you gotta you gotta take you gotta look at this from a situation where Caldwell's coming in here and you know he's not he's not entrenched in the Detroit Lions history, the organization's failures for all these years. He thinks he comes in, he goes, Oh, I'm eleven and five the first year. I would have to kill someone to get fired the second year. I mean that's the leak. You know, NFL's up and down, and you know, even even if you win five games, you're thinking, well, I can say, look, we went 11 and five. We had some problems this year. Uh, we lost Sue. Next year, all you know, all this dead money's coming off. We're going to be able to sign free agents. You know, you can sell yourself. What's going on is just everyone calling for the like, like I said to Justin, everyone calling for Martha to sell the team, for everyone to be fired. It really is surprising, and I think it just speaks to the fact that I think people were teased by what occurred last year and not pacified at all, and that the demand was to follow that up with at least respectability. And I think that's where a lot of this tension with the media and Caldwell is coming, because I think he's got to be completely floored that his job is even you know, halfway into the second season after going 11-5 is even being discussed as a possibility of him being fired. And the problem with... The loss is, is it's not just the losing. It's the way they're losing and what's coming from the losing. So obviously they're losing by significant margins. They've flat out quit in at least two of their games against the Cardinals and the Chiefs. Flat out quit. I mean, and multiple analysts have said that. But it's a national embarrassment at this point where you have opposing players for five consecutive weeks saying they knew what the Lions were doing when they lined up. They knew what play was coming. Uh, again, I don't remember that in any other season. You have Forbes coming out with the article we mentioned already saying that it's the worst franchise in sports, worst run franchise in sports. When it extends into a week-to-week national embarrassment where you have analyst John Gruden saying, oh, they're in a run formation, this run's going left. If John Gruden knows that. Pete Carroll knows that. So you have repeated embarrassments for this franchise week-to-week. So, you know, you said if they go 5-11 and – yeah, you can justify that. You know, you can sort of back away from that and say, well, we lost some key pieces, had some injuries, whatever. That it, It's not just the losing. Okay, let's say they finish 3-13. and 13. I think 4-12 and 12 would be a long shot. But let's say they go 4-12. and 12. It's not just 4-12. and 12. It's the nature of the 4-12 and 12 
week-to-week embarrassments. People were saying all over Twitter today, national people that I was reading, uh, Wisenhunt's fired, why is Caldwell still have a job? And I don't know about you, but I don't care. I, I, I'm not clamoring here for Jim Caldwell to get fired right now because I don't see, I don't see what the point is. If they're not going to get rid of everyone in upper management, and as Carlos uh, Monarez and the Free Press said, everyone with a v- vice president or above title at least has to go, including Luan. If, if that's not done, who cares? They're just going to hire another head coach um, who is probably as incompetent as Caldwell. We'll be in the same situation. Maybe if all the pieces fall into a nice season, they win nine or ten games, make the playoffs, and don't win a playoff game like they haven't in, since 1991. But I, I just don't care. Only two things can pacify me. Like I said, Martha Ford selling the team or Martha Ford going out and getting an Arn Tellum type guy to run the franchise, I don't know, Ron Wolf or who it is, and say, I'm handing everything over to you, everyone's gone, you take care of this, and you run the team as basically kind of a de facto owner. Other than that, I don't care what happens. I really don't. And, you know, the Forbes article talked in great detail about the history of this franchise and how it's run at the top. Jim Caldwell's name was mentioned basically in passing. Now, we're no fans of Jim Caldwell, but I agree with your point. What is the point of just firing them if the rest stays the same? Again, look at that Forbes article. Highly recommended. It talks about the years of ineptitude from above. They, their first choice, instead of Jim Caldwell, just got fired, as we've mentioned a few times already. They're just going to hire someone else. He's going to go, uh, you know, maybe five and eleven the first year, and then you know four and twelve and seven and nine, and they're going to fire him. And then eventually, even at that point, if Martha Ford is still somehow alive and hasn't sold the team, they're going to hire the next guy. It's just going to go well, we on already and on saw, in perpetuity. We already saw what happened when they hit rock bottom and got rid of Millen. They took Millen's suggestion to hire all his replacements. So I think that's the other reason I don't care. You see, Xander's. I, I I'm terrified that Xander's is going to take over this franchise if Mayhew gets broomed. And as insane as that sounds, with no interview process, with no interview process, and Lawan survive. No. I mean, that's what could happen. I mean, yeah, you're that, tell, that's the mo of this team. I, is you? Let me ask you: Is there a better chance of them cleaning house or of them promoting Xander's and keeping Lawan? Oh, def- if Martha Ford's in control. If Martha Ford's in control. It's and, the latter, right? Yeah, I mean, they're going to they're gonna promote Xander. Oh, yeah. They'll promote Xander. Yeah, I don't think they'll Juan's hug, going they'll, anywhere. They'll fire some some uh, scouts, hire some new scouts. They'll, It'll yeah. be a nice dog and pony show. See, I, I think... I didn't, I'm not even sure they're smart enough to try to even distance themselves, like Justin said, about the separation of powers and saying, well, Lawan just handling the business aspect. He's not going to have anything to do with the salary cap or anything like that. I, they're not even smart enough to do that. I think they could. I could just. I could very easily see that situation where they promote Xander's and and that's it. I think and that's what's going to happen. And it's business. And, and at that point, Caldwell might not even be gone because the thing we all think Caldwell's going to get fired because there's going to be a new new regime, and that new regime is going to want to hire a new coach. But I mean, if they do that, this town, they it's on the verge. I think everyone. It's unbelievable this didn't happen 10 years ago or 8 years ago when Millen got you know fired. But I, it, it happened so quick where Mayhew got the job and then made a trade for the Roy Williams trade. And when he made the Roy Williams trade, which, by the way, Millen in that article by Kyle Mankey took credit for that. He said he was the one who, made the, who had the wheels in motion for that. As a matter of fact, Millen said in that article, I don't know if you read the whole thing, 
that he told Mayhew that you could have gotten more for Roy Williams than just that first-round pick because that's how much Jerry Jones loved Roy Williams. So not only did Millen say that he was the impetus behind that trade, he then kind of threw Mayhew under the bus by saying you could have got more. And I think because of that, people were like, oh, look at Mayhew. He's different than... He's, he's not like Millen. He just made a great trade. He traded a piece of crap wide receiver who signals first down when they're down by 28 points for a first-round pick, and everyone was happy until they drafted a tight end with that pick in Brandon Pettigrew, and then everyone was like, oh, crap, we're back at the same point that we've been, and it was already too late. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this absolute just firestorm from everyone – I mean, Brad Galley, I just checked Twitter, is bombing the line. Brad Galley, a 12-year-old Jimmy Fallon wannabe, is on Twitter like you know, saying that the Lions are ridiculous for saying that people are negative. Uh, that's, that's where we're at. You've got Brad Galley against you. That, that's it's not almost, even... Almost impossible. Almost impossible. That's, a, that's his first take uh, that had any fire behind it <laughs> yeah, in his exactly. life, in his very short have life. We, have we talked too much about the Lions? Are we done? I don't think you can ever talk too much, but I do want to get Bill Simonson as a subject matter for us uh, ASAP. Well, you can, we inter- are, you can interview me about that. Yeah, since. I think I should interview you. I, I'll set it up. <laughs> uh, you should get to Detroit, uh, DetroitSportsRag.com. If you haven't been already, Jeff Moss released his terrific and very thorough piece on Bill Simonson. It's really, to even call it a piece, it's, it's really the whole pie. It's a brutal takedown. It's already been said on Twitter that of all the takedowns you've had over the years, Terry Foster, your former radio partner, Greg Henson, Bill Simonson's was the most brutal, most thorough takedown yet. I would probably agree with that assessment. It was probably the longest, really close to the Anthony Fennec piece, I thought it was a really interesting piece for a multitude of reasons. It talked about a man who is bad in a lot of ways. Now, bad professionally in terms of just his sports takes, bad personally, how he handles people uh, in his personal life. And and really just it goes beyond really beyond the pale of anything I've ever heard of in any individual, forget the media, where someone could treat their the mother of their children this way, as the uh, police record uh, alleges, I'm going to throw it to you. I just can you give us a little background on this piece? Why you decided to write it? Why we're here right now? Well, like I said in the article, I, I don't care about Bill Simonson. The guy is on a Grand Rapids radio station doing sports uh, in the afternoons. No, nobody down here has ever listened to him. I, we don't know anything about the guy, really, uh, other than his MLive articles. He, he He's completely off our radar, other than the fact that when I was doing guest spots on Ryan Schulling's show on the same station as Simonson, um, we got into a Twitter war basically over the Harbaugh story where I was 100% right and he was 100% dead wrong until he stole my story. Got on our radar. I bombed him. Said, look, if you don't do anything ever again to piss me off, I'm going to leave you alone which I did for a long time. Yeah, almost like a year. Yeah. Yeah. Until, and, and, and I had stuff built up in my in, my email inbox back then. I wrote, you know, basically what I wrote back then was everything that was kind of public domain. It was already on the internet. And, but people started sending me stuff, like their interactions with this guy. And I just kind of just buried it and said, I, I don't care. It's, it's not something I even want to deal with. 
He then orchestrated, allegedly, Ryan Schuling, a fan of this website, puts me on his show every Monday in Lansing now, uh, orchestrated his departure from WBBL in Grand Rapids by bringing in a guy named Michael Gray. I went on Schuling's first show, bombed Simonson on that program for because I wasn't allowed. The last, what, eight or nine months or seven or eight months of Schuling's show, I wasn't allowed on his program. He wanted me on every week, and I couldn't be on because Simonson told the program director you can't, he can't put Moss on. So, of course, when I got on Lansing, I bombed the guy. Simonson allegedly responded by getting Schuling fired from the West Michigan white cap color announcing and then having Cumulus Radio enforce um, a non-compete. Yeah. So, I mean, the asshole was warned I was going to come after him if he did anything, and then he goes and does probably the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, he was fucking with a guy's livelihood. Now, I've been told uh, by a close source that 92-1, the team in Lansing, stepped up over the last couple months, even though Shulin couldn't be on the air and was still paying him. So we should give out, we should give our thanks to 92.1, the team, for doing that because they were so uh, disgusted by what Cumulus Radio... By the way, Cumulus is on the verge of uh, bankruptcy. I mean, that could happen at any minute. The two guys who started, the two brothers who started that network in 1997 have both been, you know, outed in the last couple months. Uh, Cumulus is just falling apart. That's where Simonson works for now. That station in the last uh, 90 days, I think, has lost the Red Wings, the Tigers, the Lions coverage. They got no money. Uh, so things are already going crappy for, for, for his station. Nobody listens. You look at the ratings, they're like 105.1 ratings in a small market. He's a nobody. and But he's a bully. He's an absolute bully, and it was time that someone stood up to him. And I'm in a position where I can do so. He's He threatened... You know, you read the article. I mean, it goes on. Low-paying guys for the Grand Rapper and Griff. Grand Rapper and Griff is he threatens to get them fired or report them to Dan DeVos, the owner of the team. And these are not allegations. These are uh, facts. Yeah, we have and, them. And in, we, we have, have evidence. The, we have the evidence, yeah. and it's all in the article. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of things that were from sources that, you know, theoretically could be disputed, and he has disputed, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. But I, I would say about 90% of the stuff that is in that article has the proof within. I mean, yeah, it's, it's he's all He's arguing there. that there's a police report where he was arrested for getting into a bar fight, and then he's claiming that, well, I never got, I never got charged. I mean, you were arrested and ostensibly taken to jail for, the, for, for, for what you did. Uh, you know, and then the PPO, we're still he, – he's denying that you – know, He the, said the, the PPO was basically withdrawn, overturned, however you want to phrase it. The bottom line is – His wife put it in writing and signed it, it, it in an affidavit. And signed it, and look at the other evidence we have of this guy's behavior. Now, I want to talk specifically about his denial. He has already denied to the DSR's Mihir Bahatnagar, <laughs> if I pronounce that correctly. He has flat out denied, categorically denied – that he had anything to do with Ryan Schuling's removal and the enforcement of the non-compete. Now, here's the problem. We have numerous cases of hard evidence of him trying to affect people's livelihood, threatening young interns. We, we have that in print, okay? We have the firsthand account of Tony Paul as straight of an arrow, no pun intended, as there is in the Detroit media. We have Tony Paul's account 
that he basically said, you can't do Shuling's show or I won't have you on my show anymore. So we have multiple instances where we either have hard evidence or a very good plus open we know, source. Plus we know the day that I went on Shuling's show, the first show. Right, the timing of it is... I mean, he called that day, Simonson, we know for a fact, called Shuling's program director. And was going off on him for having me on and attacking him and Ryan. Right. So I mean, to, so we to know. Deny, I mean, for this, how does he deny that? I think in a vacuum, you can issue a type of denial like this. Now, if someone were to be accused of cheating in a fantasy baseball league by his former best friend and had never had any history of cheating, had run about seventeen leagues without a simple eyebrow being raised, then that person may have a leg to stand on. Look, look at my track record. You can like me or hate me. I'm not a cheat. Okay, you might be able to say that when you're Bill Simonson. What credibility does this guy have? By the way, speaking of cheating in a fantasy baseball league, we had that accusation from his the guy Brian Van Ochten, who used to work for the Grand Rapids Press, who was his be, you know BFF. Simonson and him were best buddies. Simonson tried to get Van Ochten Tom Kowalski's job when Killer was alive, and then he's on Twitter and on Facebook, I believe. Van Ochten's accusing him of ripping off his own son to manipulate a fantasy his sports son, league. His son and his brother, who right. he apparently had teams set up for his brother and his son that were completely run by him. And he was filtering players from two teams to this third team. So he's running three teams in this league. And, it, again, you want to talk about the, the mountain of evidence against this guy's integrity. I, how do you take any denial seriously? And, and, by seriously? the way, a lot of the salacious stuff I didn't even touch so, Simonson, if you're listening to this, keep it up, because I will continue to research this. I, I had to publish at some point, because I think you're on the verge of getting fired, uh, because your station's going down the tubes. We've now, I think the most damaging thing to Simonson, that whole article, is the ratings. Yeah. The, the, the fact that he's got no audience, that he was getting beat by Sean Belisian when Sean was working in his freaking basement in Northville yeah, I mean, doing his show. It's like people who bombed Donald Trump. There's plenty you can say, but the guy's relevant. The guy's got a crowd. He's, you know, number one right. in those polls. It, but Simonson has all nothing. The, There's nothing behind all the, this guy. all the baggage with, with none of the, the... Why would anyone stand behind this guy? You know... No, I, I, I don't understand it's unspeakable. It. I don't get it. And you can read the article, and, you know, Simonson... We'll see what happens. I don't know if he mentioned on his show today about about the fallout. He's denying everything, of course, but I mean it's it's pretty hard when you got stuff in black and white, you know, him threatening people who run message boards with with you know, threatening litigation that if you don't censor my name. There's a buzz the Michigan buzz board, which deals with radio and TV in Michigan. You cannot type in the word huge. If you type in huge, it says word censor. If you type in Simonson, word sensor. So you can't say that's a huge plate of pasta on, the, on that message board. And, and it's done with the knowledge. And he threatened to sue this guy he, who makes nothing out he, of the website. He can't afford to pay to defend the frivolous lawsuit. I mean, and that's the, and Simonson knows that. So, you know, how do you defeat a bully? How do you stop a bully from bullying? You stand up to him. That's sort of the saying. I think we're at the point now. I think you've stood up to him with this article. And, uh, you know, I know some of the things you've withheld from the article, some because uh, it was just too long, others... Uh, I just couldn't verify. And you I, couldn't verify. You couldn't I'm still working on, on it. I'm still working on it. There's I, some stuff that's unbelievable. I, I think, you know, some of the things that we know that we won't even put out there at this point until we get some better sourcing on, 
is, I think, frankly, more damning than what you've already cast out there. So, you know, I'm not into the issuing threats this time. It's your, your beef with them. I, you know, I certainly stand by you as your friend and, and an editor with the site. But I will say to Simonson, you know, I, I think you're better off having a little humility. I, I'm not going to hold my breath, but th- this is a guy that owes Ryan Schuing an engraved apology. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Ryan just trying to make a living. And Cumulus slash and or Simonson tried to keep him off the air for six months. It ended up getting worked out to two months, and Ryan's back, and we're glad he's back. We'll see what comes out with the fallout uh, of this article. We're going to take one last quick break, and we're going to come back with some Detroit sports radio rumors, and then we will end this so we can go to the Piston game. A game of chess is like a sword fight. You must think first before you move. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back. Final segment, Detroit Sports Rag Podcast from Podcast Detroit in Ferndale. Jeff Moss with Justin Spiro. Just going to hit on a couple quick things, Detroit media-wise, that's happened over the last week. One, the retirement of Detroit uh, Free Press Sports Editor Gene Myers, who uh, I got into it with Nick, Nick Consonica former Yahoo uh, NHL writer, former beat writer for the Red Wings for the Free Press, current assistant sports editor who, you know, he was congratulating Myers on his retirement. And I, you know, being myself, bombed Myers saying good riddance. He was horrible. Uh, Justin, you want to add a few quick things about the tenure of Gene Myers and supervising Mitch Album. Anthony Fennick, Michael Rosenberg, Drew Sharp, Jeff Seidel, and what an abomination he turned a once great sports section into an absolute national embarrassment. Well, we're you said short segment, right? I mean, how long do we have? Well, There's so much we could say. I'll, I'll just I'm going to pick one point to bring up, and that is what I think will be his lasting legacy, and that was his last significant move as sports editor was picking Anthony Fennick as the Tigers beat writer instead of our man, Tony Paul. Now, we were terrorized by John Lowe for years. Uh, he was a good writer, but just there was no substance to his columns. There was nothing there. Well, he was, he was obviously, the guy developed the quality start and hated sabermetrics, and that's why, why we, he'll, he'll probably end up in the Hall of Fame with Tom Gage one day. As, as bad as he was, though, it, he know, wasn't a hipster douchebag. He bag. wasn't a hipster douchebag, and he was a good writer. I, it, they were very well-written, bland pieces. I mean, think about it. The the people who were the understudies for Lowe, we don't like Morosi uh, for a variety of reasons, but you can't take away the fact the guy went to Harvard and now is one of the national baseball writers for Fox. Uh, I, I would take him in a second over Anthony Fennick's shtick He's terrible. Well, I mean, Fennec is the co-favorite with Lynn Henning to win our February Worst Detroit right. Media member. I mean, and that's, again, that was the last significant decision that Gene Myers made. So that's where his legacy lies with me. I mean, that was his parting shot was giving us Anthony Fennec over Tony Paul, who's the best writer in town. Well, that's your legacy. That's what you're going to think about when you think it. My, Gene Myers will always be to me two things. Letting Mitch Album get away with murder on the Jason Richardson Mateen Cleaves article, uh, which I'm sure that came from above too, but uh, you can't exonerate the sports editor of the paper 
when his number one columnist is writing a column about something that never happened and it gets published in the paper. And like basically barely apologized. It was they, the definition of a right. sorry, not sorry. Look, yeah, it was a sorry. It was a complete sorry, not sorry. Yeah. It was a sorry, not sorry. And you're an asshole for even calling me on this. Right. Right. Because I had a deadline, and I'm Mitch Album, and I wrote Tuesdays with Maury, and I am way above anything that can happen at this free press. And, and he, was, he, he ran the place, and so my, here's Meyer's legacy. Mateen Cleaves, Jason Richardson, allowing uh, Album to write columns about Matthew Stafford after taking a seven-figure donation to his charity. And finally, maybe, maybe the most egregious thing, because it's probably – the close, closest you can tie Myers into, because you could say Album is really the publisher's problem because he's so big. Or you could say Fennec might have been someone else said, you can't, you, you only got $40,000 to, okay. We know he was Gene uh, right. boy, but I'm just but, yeah. saying, but I'm just saying, whatever. You cannot distance yourself from allowing Michael Rosenberg to go after Rich Rodriguez as a columnist and then allow him to be an investigative reporter and on a witch hunt which was mocked by everyone from John U. Bacon. Basically, the NCAA kind of said it was kind Colin, of Colin Coward mocked it as well. Every, I mean, everyone. Everyone saw what time. it was for what you know. Brian Cook of MGO Blog. People we have a lot of respect for uh, in this town. At least I do. These. Uh, I mean, Bacon Coward. Yeah. These are these are not nobodies. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a New York Times bestselling writer wrote a book about this, and that, that whole thing was a sham, and it was an axe to grind by Michael Rosenberg. Against Rich Rodriguez, and he did nothing to stop it. He gave it a green light, and Gene Myers, uh, we're we're thrilled to see you go. Hopefully, the next sports editor has a little more control over the asylum. There's a little more ethics involved in decisions that are made there. Um, and, and we didn't even touch on Drew, employing Drew Sharp for all these years and allowing him to just troll Big Ten fans, Michigan and Michigan Breaking State. Michigan State, like, 19th allowed in 2013. Him, right. Allowed him to write him. Yeah, right. It was just a, you know, Michigan State FU. finishes number three in the country. He had him at 18 or 19. Uh, and this whole thing with Ohio State, the Big Ten last year, just mocking the Big Ten until Ohio State won the <laughs> national championship. And then after that happened – Getting rid of his Twitter account, basically, because he was embarrassed and humiliated. Uh, he's, he's an embarrassment. I want to move on. Well, one more thing. Go. One more thing Let's, before I go. One more thing. Yeah, yeah. Gene Moyers allowing Drew Sharp to write an article about Justin Verlander's no-hitter that he did not watch that game. We contacted the free press, and Gene Myers said, no, he did watch that game. Even though and Gene Myers defended Sharp when it was clear evidence, video evidence, so you could say that there's no way he was watching that game and he wrote a column about it. So that, that's, that's his legacy. Sorry, Nick Constanica. He was a piece of crap, Gene Myers, and I'm glad to see him gone. Now, speaking of guys that are gone or might be gone, what are you hearing about Mike Valenti? Let's finish this up. All right. Uh, tell so me what you've We'll heard. finish this up with Valenti and Foster. I don't even think I told you the, about this yesterday. We'll start with Foster. So Foster's being forced out by the Detroit News, just like Tom Gage was. They were trying to get him to take the Pistons beat, knowing that he's got the radio show to do every day between 3 and 6 on the weekdays. He's got two kids in high school, or high school and, and Orchard Lake Middle School. He wants to be home for them. So they, they were trying to force Terry Foster onto the Pistons beat to get him to quit. So supposedly, it, I think it kind of worked, and I think we're going to get an official announcement soon that Foster's gone from the news. Rod Beard's now covering the Pistons. Tony Paul is now officially covering Michigan basketball, replacing Rod Beard. Yesterday on Valenti and Foster's show, which now is uh, videoed and you know the video simulcast of the radio show, you can go online and watch it, 
So one of the DSR um, followers uh, emailed me to tell me and tell to tell to tell me that Valente made a joke. Not really a joke. He just said that Foster's going to be gone from the news soon. And Foster was like, gave him a weird look, and Valente like kind of made a, a look on the camera like this. Oh shit! I shouldn't have said that, right? Smoking gun. On the archive version of that, they edited that part out completely. Yeah, I mean, there you go. Okay. That's it, it's everything right there. Okay, they edited it out. And I learned today from a source saying that the Detroit News contacted 97.1 and said, do not talk about this. So that that's what's going on there. Foster is being forced out. So now he's down to just the 97.1 job as Mariachi's Cantina is out of business, um, Candy Express is out of business, and Foster's closed house is out of business. By the way, don't forget me. I got your shirt in the car. Don't forget. Okay, yeah. We got to take a pic. We got to do a Periscope from the game. Yeah. Watch Periscope tonight. Spiro and I will be at the Pistons game, and we'll we'll show you the Foster closed house shirt. Last thing, Valente, his contract is up in March. I was told that the bigwigs in CBS Radio flew him to New York to convince him to stay in town. Uh, there is another with CBS Radio actually, not stay in town. He has an option. This is what I was told, Justin. Listen to this. Valente has an option to go to Philadelphia, which is a much bigger market than Detroit, especially for sports talk. They want him to apprentice at night for like seven or eight months until the summer so he can learn the Philadelphia market and then go to PM Drive to replace a guy who's leaving, I guess, for what I was told, $750,000 a year. Well, what would that be like a 300% increase? I mean, I don't know. I, but I would imagine he's making like what, cow. 220 Yeah, somewhere. something like that. Yeah. And, I, and, and I was told that Valente doesn't want to go to Philadelphia. And someone said I to mean, me. If, you, if you're tripling my salary. Yeah, I mean, uh, seriously. It's, it's like, someone I, I said. Go to Siberia. So yeah. someone said like, oh, well, he doesn't want, he, he's a Giants fan. He can't go there and roof the Giants in a Philadelphia market. And I'm like, first of all, if someone wants to pay me $750,000 a year, as I said on Twitter last night, I will root for the neo-Nazi softball team up at Milan. Coming from a Jew, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, please, I, for $750,000 a year, we need to like have an intervention with Valente to get him out of the market. Like, what are you thinking? What do you have here? Well, just for his own, I mean, for the sake of your fellow man, he should get out. If that for 10 years. Is true, 10 years makes 750 a year? You can retire. I mean... Yeah, he he doesn't have a big lifestyle. I mean, let's I, let's see if we can have an intervention with Valente to get him to Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm in. We we should call him up. Are you there have, a lot you have of a cell phone number? Uh, don't you? Yeah, I think I do. Do you have, are there a lot of Michigan State fans in you know Philadelphia? Oh, area? we're all over Spartan Nation. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I, that's probably his biggest fear that he can't use the. Michigan State trolling of Michigan fans to gain no, an audience. That's his favorite part of his gig. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, we've heard that he doesn't even want to do what he does for a living anymore. But uh, that's, so that's another it. topic for so another So we'll see day. what happens. His contract up in March. We'll keep an eye on that. Valente uh, and Foster show maybe um, maybe no longer if uh, he he leaves. There's and supposedly he's not. There's no chance he's going to 105.1. But from what I've heard, his agents looking for other avenues in this town. So. We will see. That's the show tonight. Thank you to our producer, Jessica, as always. The uh, enormous slob, <laughs> Jessica. Yeah, yeah, she's 342 pounds. <laughs> I need motivation to go yeah. work out. She was talking about... <laughs> this uh, is it. Just imagine Scott Anderson with a pretty face. That's what you've got here, right? Yeah, pretty much. Scott and, and, and the, the, fa- the fat Scott Anderson. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Not the one that's She's complaining that she's, you know, got to cut back. I'm not 
fat. I'm just chubby. So mm. it's time to Ch- tighten okay. up, as they said, and knocked up. You guys saw that movie, yes, right? Yes, yeah, I did. Tighten. Tighten. Uh, my wife's pregnant. The first thing we did was watch Knocked Up when we found out. I literally. That was the first thing we did. Oh, really? We, like, called our parents, then I turned the movie on. The movie's but awesome. It is great. Uh, <laughs> All so right. Thank you to Jessica Moss. Uh, let's go enjoy the Pistons game. Yeah, go Pistons. Well, I was telling Jessica when you were to take a piss. Last time we were at a Pistons game together, we were rooting from the loose so we could put bags on our head. Yeah. And then they beat Oklahoma City <laughs> yeah, like, right. after like a 13-game losing streak. So tonight we're going to go root for them to win, to go 4-0, and of course they'll probably lose. Don't do yeah. that. Hope that they lose. Yeah. That's I right. remember we, they were down like eight points to OKC, and we're like, okay, we can almost put these bags on our head. They had like a 12-0 run. Yeah, right. <laughs> they the rest we were like right behind the net. We were like in the Bill Davidson seats. like <laughs> Just unbelievable. And, and we could never put the bags on our head, so... Go Pistons. We will probably do a Periscope down there. Yeah, for um, sure. And uh, we will see you next Tuesday. Uh, big show next week. We're going to the Red Wings game. Sergey Fedorov being honored for his Hall of Fame induction this week. I'm going to try to get Sergey on next okay, week. Great. That is that is my goal. Next week they have Sergey Fedorov and maybe another big guest. We're not going to spoil that. You're, you're working, we're working on that. On yep. But we're working on a couple big guests for next week. So thanks for joining us on the Detroit Sports Podcast. Uh, enjoy your week. And uh, thank you, Jessica and Justin. Good night. Good night. This is a previously recorded episode.